0: Well, thanks, Simon, for a really generous introduction. It's uh, wonderful to be uh, here among so many uh, terrific friends and scholars, uh, and people who are both friends and scholars. (laughs) Uh, Can I, of course, acknowledge the Ngunnawal people on whose lands we're meeting today, and pay my respects to elders past and present. In the 1950s, Solomon Ashe Ash carried out a series of conformity experiments. They were constructed as follows. You had a very simple problem. Tell me which line is longer which, when given one-on-one, 99% of people got right. And then you brought people into a room in which there was a series of actors placed around the room. And when you had half a dozen actors who'd all given one after the other the same wrong answer, one in three people switched their view to conform with the group and get it wrong. And then Ash decided to mix it up. He threw in a Confederate uh, who was blind. Uh, and that person was an actor who pretended to to, uh, to to be sightless and when it came to them they said well what do I know? I, I'm blind, I, I guess it's... and then they gave the right answer. And it turned out that having somebody in the room who had no power of perception nonetheless helped <laughs> others provide the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> and so It is with great delight that I launch John (laughs) Cricket's book today. John isn't just somebody who's smart, he's somebody who makes the rest of us smarter. He's somebody who has no tendency to conform to the rest of the room and from whom you will always get an interesting insight. Remember, in 2006, uh, Justin Wolfers and I had done a paper on election betting markets in which we had argued. That a party that was further ahead in the betting markets uh, was therefore a party that could expect a larger election winning margin. And it was John who pointed out that there's two things going on here. There's the size of the margin and there's the certainty as the result. And it might well be uh, that a party was a long way ahead in the betting markets because they were confidently expecting a narrow margin of victory rather than expecting a great margin of victory. <laughs> And now, of course, two days out from election with the betting markets going our way, I fervently hope that John is wrong. <laughs> um, but it, uh, it was certainly an insight that we incorporated into our paper and just one of those in- instances that reminds you that any time John has a chance to look at your paper, he will make it better. The book that we're launching today is uh, based off Henry Hazlitt's 1946 book, Economics in One Lesson which posited that market prices represent the true cost of everything. As Paul Samuelson joked, when someone preaches economics in one lesson I say, go back for the second lesson. (laughs) And it might have taken half a century, but John has put the late Nobel laureate's advice into action. So the first lesson is that market prices represent the opportunity cost of everything, John's second lesson is that market prices don't represent all the opportunity costs we face as a society. Put another way, if the first lesson is market success, the second is market failure. And characteristically John then provides us a whole suite of insights not just about lesson two, but about lesson one. So when he talks about the importance of uh, uh, market prices Uh, he refutes the doctrine of TANSA AFL uh, which turns out not to be a particular aspect of the uh, AFL draft uh, but is in fact John's acronym which I'd never heard for uh, for the phrase there is no such thing as a free lunch TANSA (laughs) AFL Uh, and John points out that actually when we have new technologies and the ability for comparative advantage specialisation there actually is opportunities for free lunches. He talks about airline deregulation and notes that one of the impacts of airline deregulation, little noted, uh, is that flight attendants who were once fated and paid highly uh, are now paid little more than restaurant service. And he notes that if you're serious about helping poor people, it's a pretty good idea to give them money. Uh, (laughs) An insight which I'm sort of remind uh, as I was reading it uh, again, was reminded of the fact that the Australian debate over welfare is, in some important respects, a much more civilized debate than the US debate. Our conversation here is about the right level of the new start allowance, rather than creating a system of food stamps. But then John gets into the material he loves: the notion of social opportunity cost. He talks about unemployment as a social opportunity cost. Something I remember my dad speaking about a lot in the early 1990s when we hit double-digit unemployment. And John makes a perhaps unfashionable but deeply important argument for full employment. It's carved onto the wall of the Reserve Bank in Martin Place and I think ought to uh, occupy a much more prominent part in our public debate. And it's really important contribution, John, to be talking again about a practical policy to achieve full employment. He talks about the links between monopoly and monopsony power and notes the interaction between the two. The notion that if you dominate a product market, you may well be able to use that power to also dominate the labour hiring market. Uh, And the impact of monopsony power is I think being felt in a whole host of contexts and plausibly is one reason why we've seen the labour share falling across a host of advanced countries in recent years. He notes that uh, speculation in financial markets may have a social opportunity cost, and points out that one of the big social opportunity costs is the sheer amount of brain power that we've diverted off into financial engineering, Uh, particularly in cities uh, like New York and London, uh, which attract so many brilliant people to them (coughs) and end up devoting their talents uh, towards an industry where uh, some have argued, maybe this is a line of yours John, uh, it's difficult to see a whole lot of new innovations since the ATM. (laughs) John also notes that uh, the Bitcoin bubble should destroy our faith in uh, efficient markets and has a beautiful phrase where he argues that it is somewhat strange that we economists regard corporations as natural but unions as being some some sort of an alien intrusion. As he points out, both are social constructs and yet traditional free marketeers have seen unions and corporations in a very different light. And not irrelevantly for where we are in the current political cycle, uh, he notes that the opportunity cost of a tax cut for the top 1% uh, is more tax cuts or better services for the middle and bottom of the distribution. Now John's largely uh, thinks about the world through the prism of theory but there is empirical evidence that his book is uh, hitting the mark. Uh, it's already available in ACT public libraries, so I think possibly a record by Princeton University Press. <laughs> uh, and uh, John, te- uh, John assures us is uh, number one on Amazon's new hot sellers microeconomics category. <laughs> long, may, long may it remain thus. Uh, so economics in two lessons um, comes uh, with uh, with two lessons of my own, uh, and they are as follows: buy it and read it. Congratulations, John. <laughs>